blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, SCORE! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Derez. Of course, with me today, Arif Dean. It's off-season time. It's time to scratch and claw and try to figure out anything we can talk about now in the podcast in this off-season. It's weird. It's weird that it's in October, but light at the end of the tunnel, we're probably going to have hockey here next month. It's already November. December is going to be hockey time. Yeah, and if it's not the NHL and if it's not the NHL training camps, then at least we're going to have the World Juniors to get started with. Right. I'm extra excited about that, but we'll get into that later in the episode. we got to start, of course, with the pressing thing at hand, right? I mean, and that's the election. We haven't recorded in about 11 days. We didn't feel like it was right to record during the week, during the heart of the election. Everybody's paying attention. Who knows if anybody would have listened to that anyway. But that being said, results are in. It's Saturday right now while we're recording. Results, I guess, came out officially this morning, and we know what things are going to look like in the future. That being said, the stick-to-sports crowd might want to fast-forward a couple minutes here, but I know, Eric, you wanted to get something off your chest in regards to the election. And it's in regards to the election and the stick to, and this idea of stick-to-sports is, is kind of the one that I wanted to sort of tackle Um I mean, you follow me on social media. On my Twitter, I sort of keep politics away from it. I'll, I will tweet a few things here and there, and it's usually not my words. It's usually the words of somebody who says it a lot better than I ever will. And uh, let's keep that into account when I talk now, because I'm by no means this political expert that's going to be able to actually truly put into words uh, what I'm trying to say. But on Instagram, it's a different story. On Instagram, I share the political news. I share my opinion. I share my thoughts. And I think that there is this big divide in the stick to sports crowd where with the stick to sports crowd where they don't understand the difference between what it means to be a sports reporter, a sports journalist, a sports podcaster, a hockey fan and a human. And that divide there, if you're unable to see the difference between those two things, then you are operating on a different wavelength and a discussion and a debate can't even be had with that kind of a person. Because above all else, and I'm not going to sit here and play the because I'm a person of color, because you're a person of color. We've had Ryan Clark on the show. We have, we know many reporters and many people in and out of the hockey world that are black, Mexican, Hispanic, Arab, no matter what it may be, that you know, their lives are ultimately at stake here. There's more for them at stake here. I'm not even going to play that card uh, because I know a lot of white journalists, a lot of American and Canadian journalists that are sort of on the right side of history. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody here knows what that means when I say that. But it's the fact that you don't, you're, you're unable to see what it, you're unable to d- make that to distinguish the differences. And this is what I mean. I'm, I'm not going to be able to say this properly, but if you're unable to distinguish the differences between what it means to be a good human and to be on the right side of history and what it means to be a hockey reporter as your career, then, then like I said, there's no discussion to be had. There's a lot at stake with this election for everybody involved. 
and that includes multi-million dollar athletes like a LeBron James, who has been outspoken about this. No money can change the fact that he's a black man in America. And these things are important to everybody, no matter what your career is. If if the general, you know, uh, average Joe uh, stick to sports man, let's say he's an accountant, I'm by no means ever going to look at that person when they tweet and say, hey, stick to numbers, stick to taxes, stick to accounting, stick to finance, stick to your job. Because you're still a human, you still have opinions and beliefs, and it's the same for myself, and I'm at the very bottom of the food chain. You and I are nowhere near the bigger name journalists and then the athletes. And that's sort of something that people need to understand, is that this election, there was a lot at stake. And there's a lot at stake when it comes to sports, too, and let's not forget about that either. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, that's all part of the the beauty of this country is our ability to speak our mind when we feel like it, right? And even on the polar opposite side of things, you know... I. I know what Tony D'Angelo is tweeting out and saying isn't exactly the most politically correct stuff, but I don't think he should get so hounded for just simply speaking his mind because it is they're polar opposite sides of the, of the spectrum here, and that's what makes it so yeah. touchy. People have a hard time vocalizing what they feel because it's not going to be received well. So that's really, I think, my biggest problem with it is we believe in the free speech here, but the second somebody decides to use that free speech, if it's something you don't agree with, you start to unfollow people, right? I mean, I remember back during mid-quarantine when all the racist issues came to the front of our conversation, and all I did was simply tweet out a link for you to donate to a local hockey group that that supports inner-city hockey and supports inner-city hockey players, that was met with unfollowings, right? Well, this past week, I got met with more unfollowings by simply liking a tweet from Adrian Dater that just said, I don't really care too much. I'm a hockey guy. I just want to talk about hockey. And that got met by unfollow. So it's like you can't really say anything in either direction nowadays without pissing somebody off. Yeah, if you're if you're not part of the cause, you are an issue. If you're part of the cause, you're an issue. And that's just the reality of life. Everybody has an opinion. And what social media has done is it's given every single person in this world a voice they never once used to have. I always make a joke and say, you know what? Maybe most of us shouldn't have a voice, me included. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality of what life is like now. Nowadays, that's the reality of why voter turnout was at an all-time high this year. Uh, legal voting turnout, I should say. Um, but you know, in regards to the comment you made about Tony D'Angelo, I do want to touch on that because I feel like th- this is this is another disconnect between people that you know believe maybe what Tony D'Angelo was saying versus what people think on the other side of the spectrum. And again, I'm I'm not going to pretend and sugarcoat and pretend I'm not that my values and beliefs are not being broadcasted on this podcast. I'm on the other side of that. He tweeted out uh, whatever happened to COVID-19. He's tweeted out many COVID-19 is a hoax tweets before. He's retweeted many of those things. He's retweeted many, uh, many things against the Black Lives Matter movement in the past. I know the Rangers probably are fed up with it. I know the NHL is probably fed up with it. That might play a, fa- uh, a factor into why his... Uh, his Twitter was taken down and deactivated a couple of days ago, or it's the fact that he just didn't want to deal with what he was going to have to deal with, with the way the election was going. But in regards to what he was saying, this is another thing that people just need to understand. The 2020 election is not about policy and opinion. We've seen elections in the past, you know, the back in the George Bush era and the Obama era, when Obama was going up against Romney and against McCain and Bush was going up against Gore and John Kerry. It was about policy. It was about do you believe in what George Bush is going to do or do you believe in what John Kerry is going to do and so on and so forth with these elections. Let's skip over 2016. Let's go to 2020. Trump versus Biden was not about policy. It was about morality. And if you cannot understand the difference between policy and morality with this election and how high the stakes were from a moral point of view, from a moral standpoint, then 
you don't understand what it means to be on the right side of history and the wrong side of history. And if you're unable to see that difference, then again, you're you're never going to realize why. And I'm not saying they did, but if the Rangers stepped in and shut down uh, Tony D'Angelo's account and, and, and advised him to shut his account down and deactivate it, it's because Tony D'Angelo is tweeting things that are against the values of the Rangers, against the values of the NHL. We saw people when they lost their mind when NASCAR tweeted out their thoughts and their beliefs and their values on on everything that was happened, you know, centered around the George Floyd murder and the social justice issues back in March, April, May. If you don't understand the difference between morality and immorality... If you don't understand the difference between being on the right side of history and the wrong side of history, you're always going to twist it as fake news. You're always going to twist it as the media is trying to make you believe what you want to believe when really it's simply about being on the right side of history. Once upon a time, slavery was a very, very normal thing in this country. Imagine slavery with social media. Imagine people that were for slavery having a social media account, having the ability to tweet. It would look a lot like the people now that are defending Tony D'Angelo. And once you start to realize that, you'll start to realize why in 20, 30 years, we're going to look back at 2020 and God, what a year it's been. And you're going to realize why being on the right side of history is so damn important in this day and age. I saw a interview, I guess it was a speech from Sasha Baron Cohen on online. And, you know, I hate getting too far away from hockey, but, um, you know, while we're here, we might as well. And he, he really pointed out just the damages that social media does to influence people's thoughts, whether, you know, it's one direction or another, it's fake, um, it's a bunch of lies, or if it's true, um, social media has that power and that influence. And had it been uh, alive, had Facebook been around during the Holocaust, Facebook would have easily published a lot of Hitler's advertisements and tried to, you know, spread his word. So you hate to see that social media is kind of the one you point the finger at it because it's, it's a big tool for us. It's a big tool for us reporters. I think without Twitter, you know, it would have been hard for either of us to build a name that we've built, uh, if you want to call it that, so far, right? But what really makes me sad is just the divisiveness of it all. You can't say one thing on one side and you can't say one thing on the other without m- making somebody mad. And this this country was built on United we stand, divided we fall, right? You look at the Pledge of Allegiance, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Apparently, those are being forgotten. But completely. but that's that's the thing. It's not that unity and 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 uh, divisive. It's not that unity has fallen off the grid and divisiveness has suddenly become the norm in this country. It's that now people have a voice and you're able to realize just how divided this country is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the 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 last takeaway that I'll take from this election. You know. Biden winning this election, Trump being a one-term president, by no means, you know, takes away all of the things that this country, all the deep-rooted issues this country still has face, still faces and has faced for for decades and centuries. Um, there are still 71 million people that were okay with Trump's, uh, let, let, let's call it his point of view on life in general. Um, all social media has done is show me and show you and show the world and show the show the nation show the united states that we are not as 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 united as as we once thought so again i'm not going to blame social media i understand completely why one person saying one thing is automatically going to be met with you know uh, criticism from either side, whether you agree or disagree with that person. Uh, I'm by no means a uh, social media is a cancer and social media sucks type of person. I believe social media has 
done far greater good than bad in this world, and it will continue to. I'm not the kind of I need a social media break kind of person. Um, in fact, I kind of stay away from that mindset because I feel like social media gives you a better a better idea of what the world is like. And if you're choosing to ignore that, you're choosing to be to be ignorant about what the world is is around you. And I mean, as an Arab American, uh, I I'm just not going to do that. And I'm the opposite. I love to take Twitter breaks. Yeah. And that's because of the backlash I see from people out there. I mean, I'm personally terrified to tweet anything from my account that is not Avalanche related. The other day, I think the last thing I tweeted originally that wasn't just a retweet or a quote tweet was me saying that I want Mark andre Fleury to come to the Avalanche. And even that gets met with negativity and berating. That's just, a, that's just the world we live in. That's always going to be. Vanilla versus chocolate. You like vanilla ice cream more, you're out of your mind. You like chocolate ice cream more, you're a child. Right. So I just, try just to, the way the world I is. I try to stay away from that toxicity. Yeah. So I try to stick to, all right, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I, the, I'm at Avs practice right now. These are the facts. Yeah. These are what I'm seeing here. This is my opinion on hockey. That's what I try to stick to. And not because I don't, I just don't want to, especially as someone who's trying to build a reputation for yep. themselves. I'm not trying to create any sort of division either yeah. way. So and, and and I get that completely because I've had those thoughts too, where it's like, is it is it worth losing five or 10 followers over this? And then it got to the point where I just straight up, fuck it. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to, you know, be upset over a few people that may unfollow me, be it be it on Twitter and, and my hockey following, my my career following, or be it my 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 personal friends that that want to follow me in the future uh, or that want to unfollow me in the future because, you know, they might think I, I sort of going too far into my personal beliefs and thoughts. I've developed this mentality of just fuck it. Like, why? Why am I going to let the reaction to what I truly believe in the heart of hearts is is good in this world? Uh, be the, the be the reason why I don't share my thoughts and beliefs. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, I will have to say this about the election, politics, politics and sports, and anybody who thinks that the two are not aligned. If you don't believe that Gary Bettman and the higher ups in the NHL world, and even in the NBA, who just made, recently made an announcement, in the NFL, in the MLB, but let's stick with Gary Bettman. If you do not believe that Gary Bettman is watching this election and the results of this election affect when or how the NHL resumes, then you are completely, you've completely lost it. The NHL and the, the, the results of the election are going to play a large role in how the NHL is played, when it is played, where it is played, and if there's fans in the building or not. And the border issue is a big thing with that. Uh, the way that we tackle and the way that this country deals with the coronavirus and COVID-19 is another big reason into that. But let's just make sure that everybody understands that the NHL and the way that sports are played and the sport that we love, the reason why we have a podcast, is directly affected by the results of this election one way or another. And if you cannot see that, then you've completely lost it and you completely don't understand how related those two things are. So that being said, transitioning into hockey a little bit more, what can we expect from that NHL start date? I mean, that's kind of all we've been waiting on, the last domino to fall, right? We've seen the AHL, we've seen the OHL, the WHL, and even the NBA plans to start in December. So what are you anticipating from uh, when we're going to hear a message from the NHL and what do you think it's going to look like? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that there is going to be a conversation between Justin Trudeau and Health Canada uh, with Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and and whoever he decides to bring as a part of his cabinet uh, 
Joe Biden doesn't take office until mid-January. We know this, January 18 or 19, I believe, January 18th. It is still November 7th. But preparing for that date is going to be vital for the NHL. And if you're Gary Bettman, you are setting up a three-way call with Trudeau and Biden or whoever their representatives are, ASAP. I truly believe the NHL is still going to work as hard as they can to make January 1st a reality. The NBA is starting December 22nd. The NBA has one team in Canada. It's the Toronto Raptors, and they're going to find a way to wiggle with. They're going to have some wiggle room with that if they need be, if needed. Kind of like the MLB, they had the Blue Jays playing in Buffalo at the Bison's uh, minor league uh, ballpark. The NBA will do whatever they need to do with the Raptors if it gets to that. Which again, the results of this election might change that, might alter that. But the NHL has seven Canadian teams. It is a lot harder to deal with seven Canadian teams, a large fan base, a large media uh, contingency in Canada. These things are going to be a lot harder to navigate. And on top of that, the NHL compared to the NBA, let's let's call a spade a spade. The NHL cannot operate without fans. I'm not saying they can't operate without fans at all. I'm saying they cannot operate a full season without fans. The NBA can start their season December 22nd with the thought in mind to expect the uh, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And the worst is no fans the entire season. I don't think it's going to get to that. My personal opinion, I think there will be fans by late spring to early summer of 2021. But the NBA is okay with saying if we have no fans for this entire 72-game regular season plus playoffs for the 2020-21 season, it's okay. The NHL cannot have that. They have to know that at some point there's going to be fans, whether it's in their you know projected four bubble cities that they want to start with for you know more relaxed hubs than what we were than what we saw in the playoffs. But the NHL cannot operate that way. That's why the the, the AHL. That's why the O. They're all starting in late February. Because it is a lot more important for all these hockey leagues to have fans because they just don't generate the same revenue that the National Basketball Association does. I am curious as to more of the thought process behind that because these are such big empires that, you know, and coming with any business, sometimes there's going to be losses, right? So I think if you have one year where you operate with some losses, this is such a big organization that if they rebound and get everything back to normal the next year and have their fans back and everything in order, everything goes back to normalcy, I think that's really when you start to recoup the losses. Every once in a while, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have hardships in running a business. So I think if the NHL were to go the entire season without fans, there's a good chance that they, you know, sure, it's going to suck for, what, six months, five months, but then once everything starts to look like the next season's going back to normal, then the revenue's going to go back to normal. And even that is probably going to be higher than they anticipated in the first place. And the cool thing about the NHL, let's let's not forget that there's two very, very large factors that play a role in the NHL's revenue. Uh, and it's going to help them. It's going to help get them out of this little mess that they're in. The Seattle expansion draft or sorry, the Seattle expansion. $650 million directly into the pockets of the of the owners, which is $150 million more than what the Vegas Golden Knights paid. The Seattle expansion and the new TV deal. And I think the NHL is finally going to do that thing where they're not going to put all of their marbles into one basket, which was oh, the, the, the OLN network, which became Versus, which became NBC Sports Network and the NBC programming. They're going to probably do an NBA model or an NFL model where it's partly ESPN, partly NBC. Maybe ABC plays a role in that, maybe not. I truly think hockey will be back on ESPN, but that's a conversation for another day. But they're going to do a better job of including multiple assets, multiple networks, and really leveraging those to take a lot of money out of one, a lot of money out of the other, rather than one big gigantic deal with one network where you're not making as much money. Those two things, the Seattle expansion, the new United States uh, television rights TV deal, 
um, are going to be very important for the NHL. What we thought last year, 12 months ago, was going to, you know, we, we thought 12 months ago that those two things were going to push the NHL to a salary cap that they've never seen before and what's going to maybe bring it closer to 100 million, closer to 90 million, is now going to take them out of this rut. And like you said, you know, when you're running a business, things happen. The 2013 lockout happened, the 1995 lockout happened, and those were half seasons. The 0405 lockout brought the NHL back with a new logo off of ESPN and on OLN, the outdoor something network, outdoor life, outdoor lifestyle network, something like that. They had to get through that. And they did. They had Crosby. They had Ovechkin. They carried them from a, from a, from a, from a sports league, a professional sports league. And supposedly one of the big four at the time that was making less than a billion dollars in generated revenue to over two or 3 billion. The NFL makes 10 point something billion dollar revenue this past season. So that should tell you all you need to know about the difference between the NFL and the NHL, why they need fans in their arenas. But the reality is those two things are going to play a large role in getting the NHL back. But it's not a matter of playing a full season, like you said, without fans um, and understanding that there is going to be a return. It's, It's the fact really quickly. The last thing I want to say here, it's the fact that when you play without fans, the owners are going to lose money. And... To a lot of owners, they might sit back and say, why don't we just scrap the whole season and start back with fans without realizing the short-sightedness of that argument of if you scrap an entire season, it's going to be really hard to bring a lot of fans back, just like in 0405. So lose some money so that you can have that upward trajectory afterward. How does that play out safety-wise, right? I mean, as a fan, I don't think I'm too eager to jump into another NHL arena anytime soon. I mean, I could watch it comfortably socially distance at home on my couch hd 65 inches i got a 4k tv now too it's even better than watching it i'm coming to your place (laughs) yeah so from a fan's point of view what's gonna get them into the arena aside from just simply missing hockey because i don't find that enough to put yourself in jeopardy of getting coronavirus i haven't gotten coronavirus yet though at least to my knowledge so i'm not sure whether it's something you really you know need to be super worried about or if it's something you need to you know kind of brush aside because I haven't had it. I haven't experienced it. I'm that, still afraid of it. And that brings me back to the point that the the election and the result of the election are going to play a large factor in how the NHL is played. And that includes fans and stadiums. Uh, you know, people are joking that, oh, now suddenly this vaccine is going to magically appear. No, vaccines are going to appear at some point in time, but that was going to happen regardless of who the president is. But the election results are going to lead to different kinds of, of, of uh, precautions taken around the nation whether people like it or not, uh, it's going to have it's going to be met with a president and a leadership core who is going to talk about why we need to do these things to combat the the coronavirus rather than surrender to it like Trump did, and that's going to lead to better results and eventually a, a possibility. And I'm not going to pretend I'm a health professional to have some sort of a fan base in these arenas, whether it's a few hundred, you know, a few hundred thousand, a few thousand in each arena or what it might be. Maybe eventually when you get to the Stanley Cup finals, you have 10 or 12K watching a game. I don't know how it's going to be played, but this brings me back to the point that the election and the results of the election are going to play a factor in how the NHL is operated, where and when. You look at the NFL and how they are slowly letting some fans into the stadiums. And of course, it's a different story because that's outdoor versus indoor. But When looking at NFL games and seeing what they've got going on in the stands, it doesn't strike me as much safer than just having a full building because you still see the fans high-fiving. You still see sitting next to each other. You still see them in the atriums getting their beer, going to the bathroom together at the same time. So I think it it just doesn't seem like that big of a difference to me that it's going to be ruled 
safe to have 20% of the crowd in there because I think 20% of the crowd is still too many people to consider it a safe environment. It's it's ultimately going to be an honor system. You have to be able to trust your neighbor and your neighbor in society, your neighbor in the world, your neighbor in the ball arena. I was almost going to say Pepsi Center again. God, that's going to take some getting used to. Uh, I'm actually curious. I want to drive by there and see if they actually put up a ball arena sign or logo or whatever. They've definitely changed the colors of banners and stuff outside. They've gotten okay. to work already. I haven't been around there in a really long time. The other day I drove on the 25 and I'm like, damn, I just don't drive on this highway anymore. I don't think I've spent this long away from that building in my entire life since it's been built. I don't think I've spent this long away from that building in my entire 13 months of living here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean... Uh, Damn, I've been here for 13 months, and the NHL sh- closed down eight months ago. I'm still new to Colorado. Yeah. This is insane. You're the jinx. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Could have done this from my mom's basement in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back, back, back on topic. So I, I think it's it's going to be an honor system. Remember in Phase 3 when the NHL was holding training camps at Pepsi Center at the time, back in July? And uh, I was going out and covering those practices. And at the Pepsi Center, there was a lot of protocols that were that had to be followed. Media had a single entrance. We had to get our temperatures checked. We had to answer a questionnaire, go up directly to our seats. And then we talked to players on Zoom afterward, even though we're in the same building. We're upstairs and they're downstairs. And the players had their own entrance that was blocked off by a barricade to get directly to their parking lot, which I would see from the window but I had no access to. But at the same time, the NHL and the teams and the franchises could not really control what the players do when they go home. Mm-hmm. But it was an honor system. It was, hey, guys. It was, hey, Eric Johnson. Hey, uh, Sam Gerard, Hey, Kel McCart. You need to go home and you need to do what's right. You need to follow this honor system because when we come back the next day, if any one of us tests positive, whether you like it or not, whether you're asymptomatic or not, whether you feel like you can play or whether you feel like you're sick or not, you're not going to play and that's going to affect the team. And it's going to be the same thing with the fan base. You need to be able to have that honor system in place. And I know it's a lot harder control to control 3,500 possibly drunk or drinking fans at an NHL arena who, back to our original topic, might not believe the same thing about the coronavirus in general. You're going to need that kind of an honor system, whether you believe in it or not, whether you think it's a hoax or not, which is completely mind boggling to me that people have that opinion in the first place. But whether you think that or not, whether you think it's going to affect you or kill you or hurt you or not, the understanding needs to be there that if you do not have this honor system and if you do not follow this honor system and wear your mask and do the things that you're expected to do and somebody tests positive, we're going to take your toys away. You cannot re-enter the ball arena. You cannot have fans. And if you mess it up, it's going to be messed up for everyone. I also think we can rest assured that hockey culture is actually going to play a positive role in this because the worst thing you could tell a hockey player is that he can't play, right? And so yeah. a hockey player is not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize the team. That's how we've been raised our whole lives. That's always been the mentality. The worst thing you could tell a hockey player is that your actions are going to affect the team in any way, shape, or form. Whether you agree with them or not, it's not about you. It's about the logo on the front, not the name on the back. And I think that's why the NHL was able to bring all of these players into the bubble and have nobody test positive on that first test, which surprised the hell out of me. I thought there would be a few. Right. You can't dress, I think, is is probably one of the most heartbreaking things a hockey player can hear. So... For that reason, I think you can rest assured that they're going to be responsible and hockey players, more so than any other sport, are going to play the responsible role and, and make sure things come back safely because they want it more than ever. They, they want do. the cup. Yeah, they, they absolutely do. And the stakes are so much higher for an NHL team and the NBA too. But let's go NHL versus NFL. The NBA would be you know more towards the NHL on this. 
we're expecting a season where there's a lot of games, you know, sort of stuck into the short amount of time. It's going to be a very, very quick and rigorous schedule. This is why you need two goaltenders. This is why you need maybe 25, 26 skaters. You need to be able, if you're Toronto, to rest Jason Spezza and, and Joe Thornton and all these guys sometimes. If you're the Avalanche, or let's say if you're Montreal, you need Carey Price to not play 75% of the season. That's why they got a backup like Jake Allen. We understand all of that. But at the same time, this schedule, you're going to play probably four or five games a week. In the NFL, we've seen like the Broncos where a, a COVID test would, uh, a positive COVID test would would be, would come out on a Monday and the game is on Sunday. We're going to close down the practice facilities Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, test everybody. Negative, 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 negative. Okay, Friday, you're back in there. You practice Saturday, you get ready. The game is on Sunday. If this happens in an NHL locker room, if this happens in an NHL organization, you're screwing up four to five games. It's hard to reschedule. Uh, granted, we're not going to shut down entire teams, but if you're Nathan McKinnon and you test positive for COVID-19, that's five games. Five games off of maybe a 48-game season where Nathan McKinnon cannot play. Five games where it's likely going to be against divisional foes. Five games where Nathan McKinnon probably would put up 8 to 12 points in those five games because he's Nathan McKinnon. Five games where the entire team's chemistry and lineup changes because McKinnon tested positive because maybe he didn't follow this honor system, which I would never think that McKinnon would do. Um, obviously sometimes you can't control it. Something's going to happen where you're going to test positive. You have to do your best to mitigate that as much as humanly possible. And that's the honor system that these players are going to have to follow. It's the same honor system. The fans are going to have to follow to be allowed in. And, and that's the reality of the NHL because so many games happen in such a short amount of time. You cannot afford to have this happen. And another wrench in that machine is the fact that hockey has been deemed a super spreader, right? I mean, I haven't played men's league. Men's league's my life. That's what I look forward to on a weekly basis. I haven't done it since COVID because just the thought of going body to body with some guy while he's breathing heavily on me. So, you know, if one guy gets that coronavirus if, and plays a game, it's going to spread like wildfire in an NHL rink. So it, that that's just the biggest issue is one person gets it. It's it's it might be over for the NHL because just the way the super spreading concept and, and that sport operates, it's just going to spread too quickly. And and that's the thing. There's a difference between the NHL players and the NHL fans. The NHL fans, it might not be as as important because NHL fans, if if one person gets it, if an arena has suddenly an an, uh, an uptick in cases, they can easily shut down Ball Arena and say, hey, you guys cannot have your 2,500 fans. It's not going to screw anybody up except for you know the Cronkies' pockets, which is the last thing we want to worry about right now. But at the same time, if it happens in an NHL locker room. Then you have to sit there and say, okay, Nathan McKinnon tested positive for coronavirus. Who did the Avalanche play yesterday? They played the Flames. The day before, they played the Dallas Stars. Two days before that, they played the Las Vegas Golden Knights. So now the Golden Knights, the Flames, the Stars, and the Avalanche are suddenly all exposed to this virus. Now you have to test all four of these teams. What do you do during that time waiting for the results? Do you stop all four teams in their games or do you let them continue on with their schedule waiting for these results? If you, you know, and then you suddenly run into a situa situation like game seven of the World Series where Justin Turner tested positive and the results came out halfway through game seven, meaning they played game seven with a potential COVID test or, or game six with a potential COVID test. God knows what the hell would have happened if it went to game seven. So that's kind of the same situation the NHL is dealing with is you have to be able to say, these players need to abide by these rules, need to abide by this honor system, because if you don't, we're going to run into a situation where there is a potential possibility of stopping everything. 
And that is the last thing that anybody wants. It's the same thing we talked about in May and June, where we said if the NHL comes back and eventually has to stop their season, it is going to be far worse than even starting in at all. And the return to play ended up working out. We need this season to work out the exact same way. And you hope that the NHL can hold players more accountable than you saw Justin Turner. Justin Turner got away with uh, zero I, I repercussions. I still cannot believe that they're not going to punish him at all. That's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I know that the NHL also has a timeline, right? Because they got the Olympics to mm-hmm. look forward to in the summer. So like you're saying, if they have to suddenly suspend a week-long full of games, that's really going to put the NHL in a tough spot come yeah. the end, towards the end of the season. Although I will say, I, I, I have to remember which reporter, which you know, big shot reporter said this because they have a little bit of an inside view of the NHL saying that they said that that might not be as big a factor as you think. Because if you're Gary Bettman and you can't really get a season in unless it goes to, let's say, August 15th and the Olympics are scheduled to start, correct me if I'm wrong, I think July 30? Somewhere in July. Yeah, somewhere late, mid-late July. If you're Gary Bettman, you say, okay, well, we'll play on NBC until July 15th. And then we'll sign a contract with uh, ESPN for the last month, and ESPN would be more than happy to carry the season. And that kind of that idea came to my mind, and I'm like, damn, the NHL really is progressive with this. They're willing to do anything possible to make this happen, and I think that's great. I truly believe in the heart of hearts, and we talked about this in one of our episodes back in July, that the NHL is under the right leadership to make this happen. Gary Bettman's not going to mess around with this. He didn't mess around with this back in March. He didn't mess around with this when the season was going on. He constantly kept saying, even leading up to Game 6 of the Stars and Lightning in the Stanley Cup Final, he constantly kept saying, and he was really consistent with his thoughts, that I am not going to breathe a sigh of relief until that cup is awarded, until I hand it off to a captain. And once he handed it off to a captain, he said, okay. And he breathed that sigh of relief, and five seconds later, he said, now it's time to focus on next season. So I think the NHL is under the right leadership. Bettman is going to do the right things to make this happen. Uh, it's just a matter of everybody coming together and, and working with him, which I have no reason to believe they won't after the way that the NHL playoffs went. And to your point about having to change networks once the Olympics starts, that's not going to be an issue at that point of the season. The, the contract's over. At that point, the contract with NBC is over regardless. And not to mention you're in the, the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, probably maybe even the finals where anybody who cares about hockey even a little bit is going to tune into whatever channel even exactly. if it's on usa yeah. network or cnbc yeah. right like, you no know, yeah that's that's the reality of it and that's and that's the thing the nhl can actually leverage this into an into a possibility of making more money because if you you know potentially can squeeze the season in and get it done by july 15th let's say that's this arbitrary date that nbc said we have to we, you have to be done by you're not making any extra money. But if you play out your contract with NBC through July 15 and then July 16 to August 15, which is when the Stanley Cup is awarded, let's say, you're able to get a one-month deal out of ESPN, that's suddenly extra money. Even if it's a few hundred thousand, it's a few hundred thousand dollars in the pockets of the owners that are losing money from this pandemic. No one's going to sit here and cry about the owners losing a couple dollars. I'm certainly not, you're not, but that's the way that they think about it. And that's something that Gary Bettman has to think about because he works for the owners. But that's why I also love the idea of all these new jerseys, right? Get get revenue in every yes, way you can. I 100% agree. More revenue in any freaking way you can. That's what you got to do. You got to be creative right now. But uh, that's all we. I think we've touched on everything as far as the restart is concerned. Yep. Is there anything you want to get off your chest 
uh, in that regard? No, that's that's basically it. There's a lot of things out there, and we'll discuss more in detail about what the options and the possibilities are with a Canadian division or four hub cities to start and realignment. You know, these are all things that could very well happen. The Avalanche could be in a division that is different than what we are used to. But we'll bark up that tree when the time comes. Let's see what happens over the next six weeks. I think that the dull and quiet two or three weeks that we just went through are going to be the quietest. This is uh, this is that August month in a regular off season, and now we're ramping up into the possibility of hearing more news and getting updates on the regular and sort of working towards that return to play plan that comes to fruition. And the NBA decided that they were going to do baseball like traveling. Yep. So you can almost count on the NHL probably doing something similar. I mean, it's a, it's an idea you and I have floated back mm -hmm. and forth. It sounds like that'll probably be the most realistic. It's the most realistic thing. The reason why the NBA said we can flex our muscles and announce it now is exactly what I said. They can have their NBA street style arena like they did in Florida, which looks so cool. Uh, no fans, no media, no nothing there. Just this nice little dingy basement with two uh, basketball rims on each side. They can do that and say, we have the money to get through this. The NHL can't. They can do that and say, we have one team in Canada that we can bring to the state. The NHL can't. They have seven teams. So I could see why the NHL, like the last time, is taking as much possible time as they can to make a decision because they want to make sure they make the right decision. But all the power to the NBA. I'm excited for them to start up before Christmas. Right. Popularity just plays a big role, too. Like you exactly. said, they could yep. play anywhere. They could play over at Sloan's Lake on the rims that don't even have <laughs> uh, nets on them, and people would people watch. People will watch it. People, I'll eat it up. Right. So, uh, yeah, let's take a quick break, talk about DraftKings Sportsbook, as the NFL season is in full swing and the action is still unfolded, so, unfolding. So head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app now. With so many storylines across both professional and collegiate sports, this is the time to check out all DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, which is a big if because I'm – Sure, after listening to us talk about it, you have to at least have dabbled by now. Head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. To celebrate this Sunday's action, which is tomorrow already, so get on it, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right. You bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Wow. $300 bets, essentially. This weekend, Denver is taking on Atlanta in a clash of two high-flying offenses, so get into all that action now. Is that, that a fact? That, is, that's one way to explain Denver Is Denver a high-flying offense? And the Falcons are the Ottawa Senators of the NFL this year. Well, if you want to jump on something hockey-related, I know the Avalanche are a plus 750 to win the Stanley Cup. Nathan McKinnon a plus 650 and is the favorite for the Hart Trophy, so that might be somewhere our listeners want to put their money rather than the, for, the Denver Donkeys. Then... <laughs> On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use offer promo code MHS when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is insuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet, and they cover up to $100 when you use the promo code MHS during sign-up for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, home of the Denver Donkeys. Risk-free coverage <laughs> paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. They always use the Make It Rain slogan in their, in their reads, right? And this whole time I've been reading them because they use the word rain like a king would rain, yeah. right? Draft king. And I'm, this whole time I've been reading these ad reads like, why do they use the word rain well, what do you wrong? Know? And it was 
just two days ago, I realized, hey, oh, Kings, rain, now I get it. It only took, uh, what are we in, like week 13 or 14 <laughs> of this, but you, you know what? Anything to keep these things exciting because sometimes it's uh, really hard to read the same thing about the NFL every single week when you're a podcast about the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> right. It's time to get ready for week six. The tape is out. Uh, but let's get uh, moving here on the NHL and uh, more hockey talk. I wanted to get into World Juniors because I honestly think that is what we are looking I'm forward so to most, for right? It. Yes. I'm so excited too. And one guy single handedly has got me excited about it, and that's Eustace Annanen. I hope so bad, and I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be on the World Junior Team for Finland again this year. He is 20 years old right now. It's a U-20 tournament. But I looked up some of his stats because I really want to keep up. We don't have much going on hockey-wise, right, Arif? So you and I need to keep up with the guys that are playing overseas right now, the Martin Kouts, the Eustace Annanins, anybody in the KHL that might be playing. And I looked at Eustace Annanins stats so far this season. And in five Finnish Liga games he's played, He's got a 9.49 save percentage, 9.49. That's almost a 9.5, and a one goal against average. This guy is not only whispered to be the real deal, he's really starting to look like it. I can't wait to be able to watch more of his tape and watch some of his games here in the World Junior. He's really the reason I'm getting excited. You know, that's... uh Completely different take than I thought you were going to take, but I am so happy you took that. Where'd you think I was going? I thought you were going to go with one of the Canadians the Avalanche have, their last three first-round draft picks, which we'll get to. But Eustace Annanen is 20 years old. He turned 20 on March 11. Jeez, that's a grim day in hockey history. Uh, He turned 20 years old on March 11. The reality is, if he's ready... If he's ready to go, he could be in an avalanche uniform by the 21-22 season when either Franz Hus or Grubauer are no longer on this team. And I know that's kind of crazy to think, like, relax, slow your roll, but Semyon Varlamov was an NHL netminder at 19. He was playing in the playoffs at 19. He got traded to the avalanche at 21. Eustace Annan will be 21 by the time that season starts. If the World Juniors are the coming-out party that I expect for him to be and the fact that his stats overseas in Europe right now are just out of this world— then this guy could be on the Avalanche a lot sooner than we think. We're not used to saying that because the Avalanche are just terrible at you know bringing these goalies up and developing them. And then the only one that we thought was an actual player was Calvin Pickard. He got picked by Vegas and just fell off the grid completely. And he was 22-23 playing with the Avs, and we're like, wow, good job. He's so young. That's not young. Having Semyon Varlamov as a starter in the playoffs in 2009 as a 19-year-old that's young. That's a good job. The Capitals did it then, and the Avalanche have been sort of feeding off the Capitals' goaltending development with Grubauer and Varley for the last 15 years, or nine years, I should say. Jeez, I'm way off. But what I'm most excited about with the World Juniors is just how good a tournament it's going to be this year. Because going back to the 2005 lockout, that year, there were so many players that played in that tournament that otherwise would not have been able to because they would have been on NHL teams. And that's something you have to take into account. Someone like Kirby Doc on the Blackhawks is likely going to play. Someone like Bowen Byram on the Avalanche is likely going to play. Going back to that 2005 team, I'm going to list off Team Canada because it's the most household names. Just to name a few, Brent Seabrook, Dion Phaneuf, Shea Weber, Jeff Carter, Sidney Crosby, uh, Ryan Getzloff, Clark MacArthur, Mike Richards, who was the captain, Andrew Ladd, Corey Perry, uh, Braden Coburn, uh, Patrice Bergeron, all of these guys were able to partake in it, or I should say most of these guys were able to partake in it because there was no NHL season. Patrice Bergeron was a rookie in 20, 2004. Uh, he would not have been there. Ryan, Ryan Getzlov, Jeff Carter, 
Corey Perry, Mike Richards, those Philly and Anaheim picks probably and likely would have been playing in the NHL at that time. So it's going to be the same thing this season. There's going to be so many players on top of the fact that a lot of these players are college players and likely their season hasn't started or will be done or, you know, funky scheduling because they keep doing these monthly schedules. They're going to be able to partake too, which brings me to Team Canada this year and three players that are invited to the Team Canada camp, Justin Barron, Alex Newhook, and Bowen Byram. And if those names sound familiar, it's because those are the last three first-round draft picks the Avalanche have selected. All three of them have a chance to crack the Team Canada roster. I don't feel so good about Justin Barron because there's going to be a lot of good defensemen there. But Alex Newhook's going to be a player, and Bowen Byram's going to be one of the returners, and I'm excited to see both of those two guys play too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's going to be fun to contrast how Bo Byram and Barron look you know, comparatively, because obviously Byram is about this far away from jumping into an NHL lineup, whereas Barron's kind of the new gem around here. We want to know a little bit more about him. So it's going to be nice to see where Barron is at compared to to Byram here in this in this World Junior. But yeah, of course, New Hook, we have we've only seen what we've seen with BU, right? We want to kind of see at a bigger level some future pros and see what he could do at a higher level and see if he is indeed ready or at least getting close to ready to jumping into the NHL lineup as well. So there's always been good future avs to keep an eye on. Uh, at the World Junior, but just for some reason this year, maybe it's just the lack of hockey recently. I'm extra excited to get a little bit of scouting on these guys. Yeah, and uh, a really quick thing before I continue there so that the one Bostonian that listens to us doesn't lose his mind, it's actually Boston College, not BU for Did Alex I, Newhook. Uh, yeah, so whatever. yeah, it matters to some people. It doesn't really matter to me. All I know is he's playing college in Boston. He's kicking ass, and he's going to join the Avalanche eventually and be a great player. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to see it. I mean, let's go back to that 05 World Juniors. Alex Ovechkin was playing. He would have likely been an NHL rookie. Uh, Evgeny Malkin was playing. He would have likely been an NHL rookie. So there's a lot of players that are going to get a chance to play in this tournament. And let's face it, without the NHL back and the fact that this is going to be held in the NHL in the Edmonton bubble, there's going to be a lot more eyes on this than usual. Players or teams, or not players or teams, fans are going to be able to learn the names of their prospects like they've never learned before. Because in the NFL, you know your prospects. I know Jake Butt, and I know Jake Butt because he was a he was a college player at Michigan, and he you know tore his ACL in a useless bowl game that he probably shouldn't have played in, and that's why he keeps getting injured. I know these things, even though I'm not a big NFL fan, because of how prevalent college football is in America. Junior hockey is not prevalent. Even college hockey is not as prevalent, even though it's starting to get there. So now teams are going to learn their prospects. Fans of these teams are going to learn who their prospects are and who these names are and say, oh, Justin Barron? I remember that kid. He played in that one tournament in 2020, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be a big player for the NHL. If they can find a way to help market this tournament on a yearly basis, it would play so much more into how important the draft is and, you know, making the general fan interested in the draft because they'll start to learn these names from a younger age. Sure. It's just tough when, oh, this guy's not going to be in the NHL for another two years. That's that's the thing. Yeah, that's the problem. You know, Jake Budd and all these guys can get drafted and then, you know, jump straight to the mm-hmm. to the NFL. It's it's a little bit different. Right. And in the NBA's case, these guys were starters in college. They're going to jump in the NBA and be starters there. So you can easily seamlessly transition. Um, but like you were saying, my favorite part is just finally getting my own scouting because all we have up to this point yeah. is what we've been told from scout experts, in air quotations, and maybe a couple YouTube videos that you pull up here and there. But when you actually get to sit down and watch them in a whole game, watch their flaws and their strengths, that's when you really get your own scouting report. That's why, you know, I love attending the, uh, what's usually the, what is it, the prospect camp 
for the avalanche because that's where you can finally get your own assessment and not have to deal with other people's reports and you can see firsthand oh adam warner's glove hand is in a goofy spot i hate that right or used to saying and man i love the way he slides laterally from post to post he's so good at that and that that's where i think that's what excites me the most about world junior not so much uh you know just simply the hockey coming back but yeah. getting our own scouting reports to help us do better at this podcast you know one of the coolest things that i ever got to do was cover the world junior summer showcase in plymouth michigan in 2017 i went as a fan and i and i got to watch kill mccarr and connor timmons in 2019 i got to cover it as a reporter for mile high sports and uh see guys like bowen byram and and eustace ananen and um the finnish guy's name is escaping me sample renta i got to watch i got to watch him and talk to him too uh that's a prospect, by the way, that we don't really talk as much about that we probably should be. And I know that because of his performance at that junior uh, at the World Junior Summer Showcase. That's awesome for me. The other thing that's really cool for me is now you don't have to juggle the World Juniors with the NHL schedule. Last year on that late December, because they usually start around Christmas, Christmas Eve, Canada, USA. It's a big deal in Canada. I used to always watch that from Windsor, Ontario. Uh, you don't have to worry about watching a game at 1 p.m. and then going to the Pepsi Center at 7 p.m. to cover the Avalanche and Winnipeg Jets on New Year's Eve. You can focus strictly on Newhook and Anunin and uh, Byram and possibly Barron and all these guys. And I think that that's going to do wonders for us to be able to really get a gauge of who these kids are and what their role is going to be with the in the NHL with the ads at some point. It's crazy to think that's, a, that's already next month, right? I mean, yeah. it's right around the it's corner. It's coming quick. The NHL season ended late September and it's already early November. College hockey is trying to figure out a way to get their start in December. and The... Uh, the Big Ten and the Wolverines just announced their schedule. They announced the first month of their schedule, and they're starting in just a couple weeks. The Wolverines are a very fascinating team this year because they have four of the top ten projected picks for next year's draft on their team. So I'm really excited to watch them more so than usual. Probably since the year of Comfort, Kyle Connor, and Tyler Mott, and Zach Wierenski, this is the first year I'm this excited about Michigan hockey because of how many guys they have there. But that just goes to show what college hockey is like. Some have started, some have not. Some are releasing schedules on a monthly basis. Some aren't. So it's it's going to be very unique this year. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, we sit here and complain about how it's the dog days of the offseason. We don't have anything to talk about. Well, we only got six more weeks of it. We only got to make up some stuff to talk on a podcast for six more weeks. Then we'll have real actual hockey again to talk about. And I can't wait uh, for that. Um, let's move on to, uh, you know, again, while we're trying to figure out things to talk about, fill a whole podcast here. I thought it'd be a good time to kind of talk about um, some articles you're working on right now. We got to yeah. stick to some avalanche hockey. So one of those um, is the Makar extension and uh, a little bit about how the pandemic is probably going to affect the way that ultimately looks. Yeah. So this was an idea for me to write about and I, I released it. It's been now 11 or 12 days since it's been up on the website. So go take a look at it if you haven't already. Um, this was an idea that I had from our conversation with Ryan Clark a few weeks ago because Clark mentioned that idea of, hey, what's going to happen with McCarr? Is he, and you know, we, we talked about and him and I sort of spitballed this idea of is he going to take a bridge deal and kick the can down the road or is he going to go ahead and start it now and, and sign a long-term deal now? Mm-hmm. If you're Miko Rantanen and, and the pandemic and knowing the pandemic was going to happen you know, nine months later after signing your contract, you might have said to yourself, you know what, let me sign a two-year $10 million deal and then in a couple seasons, when the money's a little bit more, I can sign a $10, $10.5 million deal. Instead, he signed a long-term 9.25 or 9.2. Obviously, he didn't know the pandemic was going to happen. Makar knows that it's happened. Makar knows where the NHL is in terms of finances. So if you're Kale, you have a couple of options. You can sign a two-year deal 
a one-year deal, a three-year deal, kick the can down the road, still keep your restricted free agent rights with the Avalanche, but say, you know what, while the uh, while escrow is high, while there's this 10% deferral to next season that I still think the players are never going to get back, uh, while all these things are happening and you know a lot of our paychecks are going to be going back to the NHL, let me go ahead and just make two, two and a half million this year. Why would I? And you know that's where I feel bad for Miko Rantanen because his contract's front loaded. He's going to make twelve million this year, and that's going to take a massive hit. The more you make, the more the bigger the hit because it's based on mm-hmm. percentage, right. not actual dollars. Sure. So if you're Kale McCarr, do you say, you know what? Let's sign a let's say a two year eight million dollar deal. Imagine that a four million cap hit from McCarr. But in year one, I'll make two million, and in year two, I'll make six million, and then in year three, the Avalanche better give me twelve for a long term deal, twelve a year. Or do you say, let me sign that same long-term deal now that I would have signed in the past? Let's say before the pandemic happened, the Avalanche and Macar were working on an eight-year deal at nine and a half a year, which would be a bargain in my opinion. Instead of making it a front-loaded deal like Rantanen or making it a consistent nine and a half a year, maybe you just mess with the numbers. And in year one, you make three million, but in year two, it goes up to seven, nine, 10, 12, 15, et cetera. The, the average, obviously, the annual average value, the cap hit is going to be nine and a half, but you're going to have a smaller number in the beginning because the percentage of that that's going to get taken away is a lower amount. So that's co- sort of the uh, the two factors, you know, the, the factors that are going to play a part in Sakic and Makar's extension. Um, I, for whatever reason, and I could be wrong, and we will find out very shortly if I'm right or not. But going back to Nathan McKinnon's comments last year in that Forbes article about taking a pay cut, whatever a pay cut means to a player like that, going back to that, I think, I truly believe in the heart of hearts that the Avalanche are building a culture here where nobody's going to make the big buck. Nobody's going to take the Matthews, the Marner contract. It's going to be very Pittsburgh-like where Latang signed for seven-something and Crosby signed for eight-something, eight-seven obviously because he's Sid, and Malkin signed for nine-something. Or you go to the Tampa Bay side, Kucherov's making nine and a half. Vasilevsky's making nine and a half. Stamkos is making eight and a half. Victor Hedman's making seven point eight seven million. I can't believe I have these numbers memorized. I'm such a nerd, but I think the Avalanche are building that culture. I don't think Makar's contract's going to hit ten million. I think McKinnon's, if it does, it won't hit eleven. I think they're going to build that culture because Miko Rantanen took nine point two five when Mitchell Marner was out there making ten point eight. And I think that that started it. That mixed with McKinnon's comments, mixed with where the Avalanche are going. I also think that uh, Gabe Landeskog, for example, his contract extension next year isn't going to even hit 6.5. I don't think Landeskog is going to ask for more than $6.5 million on an annual average value deal. And I think the Avs are building that culture. And it's just a matter of with Kale McCarr, do you take less now on a long-term deal or do you take less now on a short-term deal? and then get a bigger long-term deal later. Yeah, you took the thought right out of my brain. That's exactly where I was going to go. And that's kind of, you've seen it, and that's the idea behind building this team uh, with former captains and former assistant captains and a bunch of leaders because, yeah, while K.O. McCarr is going to say, I want to get paid, you know, after knowing and getting to know K.O. McCarr these last couple years, how his personality actually is, you know he's not going to demand being the top highest paid young defenseman in the league. He just wants something fair. It doesn't have to be top dollar. And, um, you know, like I said, just knowing how he is, you can already hear him talking about, oh, you know, I just wanted to be part of this team and, you know, I wanted something fair. And that's exactly what it's going to be. It's not going to be too heavy on either direction. It's going to be fair. And that's props to Joe Sackick, but also props to this culture that he's built and the players for kind of carrying out that 
team first mentality like we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah, and that's a conversation that we're going to need to have over the next few years with someone like Andre Burakovsky. When his contract is expires, is he going to be looking for seven, eight million dollars or is he going to be okay saying, hey, I'll sign with the ass for five and a half? on a long-term deal, 5.75 on a long-term deal. Brandon Saad next summer, is he going to be okay with saying, hey, I was making $6 million for a large portion of my career. If I want to stay here, it likely will be four and a half. Or is he going to say, let me go out in free agency and have the Ottawa Senators or the Detroit Red Wings give me six and a half and you know, not play on a cup contender yet. Maybe they can grow into one, but not play on a cup contender yet. So there's some players where you're going to need to have that conversation and see where it goes. Um but in the grand scheme of things, I think that we're well on our way to seeing a culture built here where players are going to take less so you can keep them together like Tampa Bay has been able to for all these years, like Pittsburgh has been able to for all these years. That being said, I know we've kind of talked about this off and on for the last couple podcasts, but let's get back into it. Do you think, has anything changed in your mind on Sackick targeting maybe another UFA before the season starts? The goaltending situation is still interesting to me, and I will say this. Sakic has expressed his opinion and his thoughts on Grubauer and Francouz, and he came out rightfully so, because let's not pretend that Grubauer and Francouz have not been having great years the last two seasons in Denver. Rightfully so, he said both of them got injured. It was unfortunate, but I trust that they are good goalies. Grubauer had a great playoff run in, in, the, in the 2019 playoffs. Uh, he was doing well in 2020. Granted, game one against Dallas, he did let in three goals. Let's not forget that either. Um, Francouz had an exceptional regular season and then fell off the wagon in the playoffs, and we learned later that he was injured. Sakic has expressed his thoughts and his beliefs that Francouz and Grubauer can carry this team. What he has not committed to is not adding a third goalie. I asked him about this during his one media availability after the side deal, or the Taves deal, I should say, or right around then, whichever one of them. And I asked him if he was comfortable with Adam Werner being his third string goalie, and he said, I'm comfortable with Werner, but he didn't rule out the possibility of bringing in a third goalie. He I am not, not comfortable Exactly. Warner. That's the thing. So the way that he sort of twisted it is, we'll see what happens. We'll see what's available, was about the, was about right around the words that he used. He said, but regardless of what we do, we want Adam Werner to be a big factor in, with the Colorado Eagles. And I think that's a great way to put it. You know, you're not going to go out and sign like they used to in the past. Remember John Graham uh, when they brought him in? You're not going to go out and sign a John Graham or like this year when they brought in Michael Hutchinson and say, go play 75% of the games in the minors. You want Adam Werner to get a taste. Andrew you want to see what you have in him. Andrew Hammond, thank you. You want to see what you have in that player. So I think truly that the Avalanche are going to end up adding a third goalie and there's a couple routes to go. Well, there's three routes to go. You can trade for one. Not necessary considering the other two routes. Marc-Andre Fleury. <laughs> We're talking about a third string goalie, not a <laughs> Stanley Cup winning goalie that's going to make it to the Hall of Fame. I would love Fleury. I'm, I've said that before. You can either trade for one, which is not necessary. Why give up an asset right now? Or you have two other options. The first one, free agency. In free agency right now, there's four goalies that actually mean are, are that are actually worth a damn right now. One of them is Corey Schneider, but the thought process is he's going to sign with the Islanders. It just hasn't been announced because they need to clear cap space. The other three options, number one is Craig Anderson, who's not coming back. And <laughs> the uh, second one is Ryan Miller, who is not leaving California. And I would not be opposed to having Ryan Miller here. Mm. And the third one's Jimmy Howard. So it's, it's slim pickings because obviously Michael, yeah. Michael Hutchinson signed with the Maple Leafs. So. I don't love any of the ideas, but like you're saying, this isn't coming in to be, be a one yeah. or a two. This is an insurance policy. This is a guy that's just, you need to be decent. You don't need yeah. him to be great. You need him to 
have a body that works and not be injured and come in here and yeah. get hit by some pucks. That's all of those do. three, Ryan Miller would be my top choice. Jimmy Howard would be number two. Craig Anderson way down at number three. Then there's Mike Condon, who hasn't played in the NHL in two years, had terrible numbers in the ECHL this past season. So let's go ahead and ignore that one. And Andrew Hammond's available too. Well, yeah. That's, well, I'm with that's you. I, I don't the, love any of them. Ryan Miller might be my favorite just because of what I've seen him come in and do to the Avalanche. Yeah. And the last option, which is I think the route that the Avs are going to take, is the waiver wire. We're going to get to a point where teams are going to have to put players on waivers and the Avalanche are going to go and say, you know what, we will take this and bring him into our system. For free. For free, which is why I don't think they're going to trade for one unless there's like some sort of injury to Gruby or Fransuz uh, during training camp, which is a possibility. But we'll see. I like that. I think you're right. Uh, that's definitely the smartest and easiest there's and always there's always options. There's always options with the waiver wire. So why not go out there and why trade for a Michael Hutchinson when you can pick up somebody like a Michael Hutchinson? Not saying mm-hmm. that they're going to bring him back, but a player of that caliber. Why go out and automatically sign Jimmy Howard or automatically sign Ryan Miller when maybe there's a better option available on the waiver wire before you do that? It'd be heartwarming to see Craig Anderson in his career here, and he has you know some potential in him. I would not be opposed. The reason why I said he's further down on my list at number three is because I just don't see him wanting to come back to this organization. Uh, I know a lot has changed since, but from the way that things unfolded in 2011, it's been nine years and I know time can heal a lot of wounds. Um, I just don't know if he'd be willing to do that. If he does, it would be a great PR move. It would simply be something where he knows he's not going to play in the NHL. He's a third option. He will be a backup if or when Gruby or Francis get injured or need some rest time or test positive. (sighs) But he's likely not to get a lot of time. But at the same time, if you run into a situation like you did at the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs against the Dallas Stars, you feel a little more comfortable about a goalie that you know has been a starter in the NHL, that you know has made it to the Eastern Conference Final just three years ago in 2017 than you do about a Michael Hutchinson. Who, Michael Hutchinson, played fine. You said it in the first half of the podcast, too. You're going to be basically playing every other night. So suddenly one goalie goes down, you can't be relying on that. It's not just one goalie goes down. It's Philip Grubauer might need three days to rest after playing six games in 11 days or you know being a part of six games and two practices in 11 days or something like that. There's going to be times where players just sit for the sake of sitting. That that NBA model, the uh, uh, load management model, that's going to be a thing in the NHL this year. Yeah, interesting to think of. And, uh, you know, a couple months away for us to really start developing more and seeing how the rest of this is going to pan out because... It's, it's crazy that the small window we have to figure all this out, but it's got to get figured out before they jeopardize not having a season, which isn't going to happen. We heard from the Wyshynski article, you know, the doctor that the NHL relies on um, really is all on board and, and believes that there's very much a possibility of, of making a safe NHL return. But um, it's all got to get figured out and we got to hear about it. They got to let us know. They're keeping us in the dark here and it's driving me crazy. Yeah, we're going to find out soon enough. I think, like I said, I think these last two to three weeks are the August part of the offseason, and things are going to start to ramp up now as the NHL prepares for what's going to be a training camp and hopefully a 2021 season. Uh, There's going to be more moves. Teams are going to, now that the arbitration cases are are all taken care of, only one of them actually went to arbitration, and that was Tyler Bertuzzi with the Red Wings. Now that that's all done, I just had to throw that in there. Uh, Now that that's all completed and done for, some teams are going to have a second buyout window. Uh, Some teams still have a lot of work to do. Matt Barzell still needs a deal. 
Anthony Sorelli still needs a deal. Mikhail Sergachev needs a deal. Eric Chernak, man, Tampa Bay is really going to have to gut their roster. There's going to be trades. There's going to be buyouts. And uh, there's going to be a waiver wire. Things are going to start to ramp back up. All we need is the first shoe to drop, and that drop needs to be the return-to-play plan. Yeah, so hopefully any day now. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting it in the next weeks. I'm expecting by December 1st, which seems like a long time away, but it's you know the end of the month, mm-hmm. that we're going to have some sort of news of what's going to happen with training camp. Awesome. Well, yeah, we're uh, just over the hour mark, so time to kind of wrap up the show the way we always do. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest before we head into the three stars? That's about it. I think it's time to wrap this baby up. I can't believe we hit an hour again on an off-season podcast, but that just means that people want to listen, right? Yeah, and I guess you I and I can just talk about anything for however long we need to, I guess. But that brings us to the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Star number three is going to John King. For those who don't know, that's the guy that stands My at the guy. map on CNN and breaks down every county and how who's going which direction and he had to do that for four straight days it wasn't election day on cnn it was election week on cnn and my guy john king i would go to sleep at like 11 12 1 in the morning with him on my tv i'd wake up at 7 8 9 in the morning and he's on my tv i'd go to work and put in my headphones and he's still on cnn i'd get off of work he's on cnn i go to the gym he's still there i get off of i get off i finish my workout and have dinner he's still on there using the map you know it's kind of like mark rycroft's telestrator he's just sitting there busting away at these counties and you know Biden needs this many votes and this many and this and he's a calculator. He's a human calculator, robotic, just excellent at what he does. I saw the memes. I love the memes that came out about him of girls saying suddenly he's attractive to me. Uh, People are people were having a ball with it. But that man deserves a raise and uh, a drink of his choice. (laughs) I know more about Florida now than I ever thought I would. But yeah, he's like the Bob McKenzie of CNN, right? He sits there all day long on draft day, all day long on trade deadline day, just breaking news, breaking it down for you, making you understand things that otherwise we probably wouldn't understand. Yeah, counties that I didn't know existed, I now know exist, and I'm I'm just hat tip to Mr. John King. He Mm -hmm. really had a hell of an election week, and uh, like I said, he deserves a nice vacation. Uh... Somewhere with Bobby Margarita having one of those. Speaking of Bobby Margarita, don't forget to check out the hockey show with me and Ryan Bolding next week. We're having Bobby Margarita on as a guest. I, I cannot believe you got Bob McKenzie on the on there. We're shooting high. We're shooting high for guests. You got to shoot your shot and get him on this podcast. That's what I'm going to say. I'll do my best, but no no promises. He's trying to publicize a book rather yeah. than just talk to two goofs about the I'll talk to him about avalanche. a book, a margarita. <laughs> I don't care what it is. That brings me to star number two. That's got to go to Gritty. Just because of the impact, the fun that we're having, acting like he had a big uh, role in the election. It's just fun to see the world embrace Gritty when I remember the day he came out, everybody hated him for about five minutes. And then the jokes started happening. The memes started coming out. Now Gritty is just a national treasure. Gritty for Prez 2024. I love it. And I love that so many people were wearing his costume and dancing in the in the streets of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia during these last few days. Um my favorite was a comment on Twitter because, you know, people have been sort of loving this election and, and taking advantage of Gritty and his costumes being there. And somebody on Twitter tweeted, I live in the UK and I keep seeing pictures of this orange haired and orange skinned man. And I don't know who he is because you guys are making jokes about him, but they don't seem to be related to Trump. Can someone explain what's going on? And I thought that was hilarious because to American, I'm not even going to say American culture. 90% of this country doesn't know who the hell Gritty is because 90% of this country doesn't watch or pay attention to hockey. Um, 
But for the people that do know, it's hilarious. For the people that don't, they're like, who is this guy? Well, this is what sucks. I'd be willing to bet more of the United States knows who Gritty is than they know who Claude Giroux is. Than Connor McDavid, even. Right. You don't even got to go with Claude Giroux in Philly. Good point. That's, that's the NHL. It's about the logo on the front, not the name on the back. <laughs> and I think we need to start doing a better job of marketing those damn names. We got one in Denver named Nathan McKinnon. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, star number one. We didn't get the chance to talk much about this story because, honestly, the story came out the day after we recorded our last podcast, and we didn't really get around to touching on it, but it was a pretty heavy story, and that's Colin Wilson. Um, It's got to be tough to come out and really vocalize the way you feel, especially when now it looks like his career is probably over. He even mentioned it in that um, Players' Tribune article that it's probably... Uh, it's been his last hurrah, so that's just got to be tough to face and tough to come out and say it. So I know it takes a lot of bravery, a lot of courage to tell the world and tell publicly that you've got some issues and you know that you're not the perfect human being that maybe some people thought you were. Yeah, and he played for the Avalanche. He was a part of the organization for three seasons, the 18 season, the 19 season, and then obviously the 20 season, which ended for him in November with injury. Um, and obviously these issues were sort of the root cause of what was going on with him probably played a part in him not being part of the return to play roster and the return to play training camp. Well, not to mention the two hip injury hip surgeries he yeah. had to have. Yeah. Two. It's, it was yeah, it's it's a lot and he's still young. He's in his low late early 30s. I think he's my 31, age. 32. I think we graduated high school the same year. Yeah, so he's still he's a young guy. He was I was so happy when the Avalanche when the Avalanche brought him back at that 2019 summer. Because he was just a great utility player. He was the guy we all infamously remember for him for this. But it also speaks to how clutch he was during those playoffs. He was the guy that scored the tying goal against the Sharks that was waved off because of the Landeskog offside, the stick, the skate, that whole you know thing. But Colin Wilson would have been the one that tied it up at 2-2 to against the Sharks. That would have been a massive goal. Uh, and he would have been remembered in a far different light than he is now. But at the same time... You know, he spoke about how he's been dealing with these issues since his time with the Predators, and that's what boggles my mind is he was with the Avalanche for three freaking years. And we had no idea. He was holding this to his to himself and still going out there, still being a decent hockey player, still going out there and doing his part, making a few million dollars, helping chip in, bringing the Avalanche back to relevance. Because when they traded for him, he was getting traded to a team that was a laughingstock of the NHL, and he got to enjoy two playoff runs. And then obviously this year from home, he got to watch them go on a third playoff run. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough about how great he was for this organization. And, and suddenly you start to realize just how much he was going through, and it's, it's heartbreaking. I hate doing this because I hear Greg Wyshynski do it on his podcast all the time, so forgive me if you listen to both shows, but like I said on the hockey show with me and Ryan Boulding on Saturdays on my iSports at 2, check it out, <laughs> is that uh, you know it was sad to see that Colin Wilson said his rock bottom was uh, that last year in Nashville, and Nashville's sudden reaction to his rock bottom was, get out of town. I like to think and I'd like to hope that when he did come to Colorado, that Colorado had something in place to kind of help him manage this a little bit more than maybe Nashville would have. I have to say, this is what I like about the Avalanche organization. There's a lot of things that we could talk about and Ryan can talk about on your show with him about things that they do incorrectly. They stick with their guys. They're willing to give people a second chance. And the best example I have of this, there's two of them. One of them is Joey Hishon and the other one is Peter Mueller. The Avs traded for Mueller He had 20 points in 15 games. He got his head rocked by Rob Blake, of all people, and they stuck with him. They kept him in the organization for two years. They paid him a few million dollars to sit at home. It was probably insured, but still, they kept him in the organization. They kept 
trying and bringing him back over and over again. Eventually, he did come back to the Avs. He did play a few more games. And then when he was a free agent, he signed in Florida and sort of restarted his career on a line with Stephen Weiss and Thomas Fleischmann is another guy that they gave an opportunity for and someone that you know was dealing with issues when he was here. So the Avalanche do a good job of that, and I do respect them for that. Yeah, and kind of on the same uh, note as that, you know, with the Varley-Steve Downey thing, yep. suddenly Steve Downey was out of town, right? I mean, we don't know still if those rumors are true that were going around between Steve Downey and Semyon Varlamov, but... The second there was a little bit of a tiff, obviously their loyalties with Semyon Varlamov, they're going to get the new guy out of town as fast let's, as possible. Let's, let's take it a step further. Semyon Varlamov turned himself into police authorities and was arrested, and and that didn't change. You know, I, I know that there were stories that Joe Sackick and Patrick Waugh sat him down and really put him through the ringer. Don't mess around with us. Tell us the truth. He told us the truth. They said, we're going to go to bat for you. No matter what the PR says, we're going to go to bat for you. And they did, and they continue to. And I respect them for that. Varley's a great guy. And, you know, nothing was proven. I don't want to get into that situation. But at the same time, they went to bat for him, and they respected his decision. Instead of saying, this is a bad PR move, let's go trade him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, on that note, I guess shout out to the Avalanche for, uh, I guess, being the uh, good-hearted organization that we all think you are, right? Yeah, I, I... you got to give credit where credit is due. I was giving Gary Bettman credit all summer, and now I'm going to give the Avs organization some credit. Yeah, and if you want to give our podcast some credit, feel free to jump on and Look give us that. some comments, some ratings, some stars. Please subscribe. Those stars are very important to us. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, the whole shebang. Tell your friends. Tell your friends' moms. Tell your mom's friends. Tell everybody you know. Listen to this podcast. We got a good thing going here, and uh, we can't wait till this NHL season actually gets going and we could break down some more hockey for you like we used to. And it's another edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go to Avalanche Moms podcast. <laughs> Tell all your moms. Uh, yeah, but other than that, I guess thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, we'll see you guys on Twitter, and we'll uh, be back shortly to record some more podcasts for you. So thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. We out you.